Bum, 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 bum. Why am I feeling like this? <laughs> Is that not that song? <laughs> I'm feeling crazy. <laughs> no, that's not that song. What song is that? Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. I don't think so. Yeah, it is. What's wrong with me? That's not Lady Gaga. That's No, I was singing a different song than the lyrics oh. you were putting on it. I don't... You were definitely not singing the song oh, you think you were. Maybe I was thinking, singing a Rihanna song. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's what I was... <laughs> oh, Disturbia. I was singing Disturbia. Yeah. That's what it was. What's wrong with me? For some reason in my head, I was putting like... Uh, that beginning part with uh i want your bad your bad romance <laughs> bum bum beat bum 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 uh, was a great imitation though that so. was super thank you <laughs> i i practice <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're discussing Chapter 5 of Assassin's Quest this week, Confrontations. And the beginning part of the chapter discusses the wit more in depth. Specifically, uh, speaking on how it is reviled to begin with, and then I'm guessing Tom Badgerlock is the one that is writing this, uh, because from the first uh, person point of view, it says... My study of it and its practitioners had led me to a different conclusion rather than, you know, having it be a base and horrible magic. <laughs> right. And that it's like that it's something that men gain knowledge whenever they indulge in the spirit, twisted spirits. Yeah, exactly. And Tom Badgerlock, who was, I'm assuming wrote this, says the wit seems to be a form of mind linking, usually with a particular animal which opens a way for the understanding of that animal's thoughts and feelings. It does not, as some have claimed, give men the tongues of the birds and beasts. Just goes on to explain a little bit more of what uh, Fitz has experienced throughout his life, that it connects you with all lives, and you can sense humans as well as animals, and sometimes even very old and, and strong trees. Right, which I think is funny, because I definitely remember the mention of old trees are you're able to sense from this but i also know or at least think it does not ever come back up there's never no, going to be a time so. when fitz acknowledges sensing a tree which kind of right. makes me sad i kind of want a scene where <laughs> like maybe in the third book <laughs> where he's like hello old old wizen tree like <laughs> he just talks to a tree i don't know it'd be interesting <laughs> and uh just goes through that you can't talk to all the animals and the birds and everything like that sometimes you can gain an understanding of what they're feeling or the direction of their thoughts and once in a while you can speak with them in your mind but it takes a special bonded person to do that what the wit may be is a man's acceptance of the beast nature within himself and hence an awareness of the element of humanity that every animal carries within it as well the legendary loyalty of a bonded animal feels for his witted one is not at all the same as what a loyal beast give it, gives its master. Rather, it is a reflection of the loyalty that the witted one has pledged to his animal companion, like for like. 
And that last paragraph there just reminds me of our discussions of Leon and Verity. Right. When you're thinking maybe, oh, maybe like bonded or whatever. But this just solidified my opinion that Verity was in no way witted and it was not like a wit bond because it has to be given like for like. And Verity did not have time for Leon, so asked Fitz to do it. And if they were actually bonded, you'd have given like for like and made time. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Um, I think it definitely raises questions about what the difference is between a one-sided bond and a true bond, whether or not the person is witted. Right. And I don't know. I just feel like Leon would do a lot of the stuff for Verity that Night Eyes does for Fitz. And so does it make it less special that right, Leon yeah. is bonded in that way? I guess, I don't know. There's no magic behind it, maybe. And maybe Verity is like Ketrikin where she's not fully witted so she can't he can't fully make a bond but maybe he has the feelings I'm not really sure otherwise animals can just bond themselves to you without the like for like which is also interesting maybe that's what separates human from man or man from beast I suppose is what I'm trying to say because a beast can give loyalty without expecting anything in return. Whereas men slash women, <laughs> everyone that is human can, cannot do that. They like have to expect at least equal to give that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But it jumps right into the chapter picking up in the barn where they go to sleep him and the minstrels. So he, does not sleep well that night. He's not used to sleeping indoors. But he is comforted by his surroundings. It reminds him of the stables. And he misses the stables and has a wave of nostalgia that he has not had for his room in the keep before. Because obviously that was a very sentimental place to him. It was before he was like being used and right, <laughs> considered yeah. a tool. and Somewhere he was comfortable and wanted to be. And the barn reminds him of that. So he gets to thinking about Birik and wonders uh, if Birik knows about what all Patience has been doing in her sacrifices for the kingdom. And then thinks about their relationship. And then in his mind, it's not a far leap to think about Molly and how Molly had made the same decision for us that Birik had made for Patience and himself. Molly had told me that my obsessive loyalty to my king meant we could never belong to one another, so she had found someone she could care about as much as I cared for Verity. I hated everything about her decision except that it had saved her life. She had left me. She had not been at Buckheap to share my fall and my disgrace. Fitz reaches out with the skill and immediately rebukes himself, saying, like, I, I can't do that, like... Do I really want to peek in on her life and see her with her husband? Which yeah. is not true as we know, but Fitz thinks she left for another man. Right. Remember? <laughs> and so thinking about her, thinking about reaching out with a skill and then stopping himself, he is drowsing off at this point. And we know that is oftentimes when he actually does manage to skill and make use of his magic. And so it says... Yet as I drowsed off, 
I thought of her and longed hopelessly after what had been between us. Some perverse fate brought me to a dream of Beric instead, a vivid dream that made no sense. He manages to skill here. <laughs> yes. I think it's really interesting that this place between awake and sleep is somewhat of a safe space, I guess, for Fitz. He is able to completely let go of himself and skill out and actually use his skill ability. And I think this is the start of seeing Fitz's capability in the use of skill, because I don't think we've really seen maybe a few times in Fitz's life when he was really vulnerable, but not consistently as as it's about to become this use of the skill and being able to look in on other places. Right. Yeah, that's true. He hasn't really done it before with any like you said consistency he he was able to at verity's office mm-hmm. his map room and then tried to recreate that later and couldn't really but then also skilled in his dreams <laughs> later right. that night so right. like if he, if he tries too hard it just doesn't work but if he's in that very vulnerable state of my mind is shutting down but i'm still conscious mm-hmm. his walls lower enough where he can reach right. out and i also want to point out that he did this before when he was in King Shrewd's mind, he mm-hmm. did the, it's, I believe it's at the beginning of the second book. Um, so it's not like this is the first time he's ever done it. Right. No, but, yeah, he's, he's done it before. Yeah. Sure. But I think, yeah, that's like two examples and I can't really think of any other concrete ones. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just interesting to see that he is still vulnerable here because he's clearly anxious about being indoors for the first time in a long time and being around people. So maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. It's just a weird connection that he's now going to be able to have this ability a little bit more useful to him. Yeah, definitely. And so the vision he sees when he skills and thinks it's just a vivid dream is Beric sitting at a table, mending a low shoe a small shoe. And it was much too small for Beric. He pushed the awl through the soft leather and it went through too easily, jabbing him in the hand. He swore at the blood and then looked up abruptly to awkwardly beg my pardon for using such language in my presence. Fitz wakes up and he's kind of amused and confused by that because he had often made shoes for Fitz when he was small, but he had never, you know, apologized for swearing or anything like that. And he just kind of pushes the dream aside. Right. I do also want to point out one other detail that Fitz notices that next to him is a cup of tea instead of the usual brandy. Yes. Which I think is an indicator to the reader that this is probably more recent because we know right before the big fight, Burek kind of quit drinking. Yeah. The the first time reader through. Obviously. Yes. yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> we know. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, the first reader. And so he's sitting across the table from Molly and he's mending one of her shoes and oh you thought it was one of her shoes i thought so i thought he was making baby shoes <laughs> but Me, i guess he wouldn't well, be mending if it was a baby shoe he could yeah i guess he could be making one and, and fitz just doesn't realize but either way i think it's i don't think nettle has been born yet no but so, whenever a baby is about to be born you prepare right yeah so i mean that yeah. it could be true yeah i'm just <laughs> yeah yeah he's sitting across from molly yes and, it is molly he's yes. sitting across from which also just quick question inside 
uh, side road. Sidebar? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How is he seeing through Molly? He doesn't do this after Nettle's birth that we know of. So do you think that means when a woman is pregnant with a baby who has the skill, they have the skill temporarily? Or is this some weird, like, the baby can see through the the belly button hole like you know no, you used to believe when you're two something weird like that <laughs> i think it's just because he was thinking of molly we know she isn't completely shut off by the skill like shut off to the skill i should right. say like sealed off or anything like that and we know that everybody has some sort of you know some sort of version or strength in the skill mm-hmm. except for the people who are completely shut off and don't have any so i think it was just such a longing for her thinking of Birik and of Molly that he kind of just attached himself to Molly. And then after ever after that, when thinking of Molly or Birik, he attaches himself to Nettle because he has much stronger connection and she has a much stronger skill than any of the other two. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I guess I always just assumed, I mean, not always because the first time through I had no idea, but after reading and figuring things out, I just assumed that, it was somehow connected to Nettle. It all could along. be. Yeah, could and be. Maybe it is that Molly isn't fully cut off from the skill, but having an extra person with skill inside you amplifies your own or something. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Definitely could be. Yeah, I'm not sure. So Fitz again pushes that dream aside. Doesn't think it's real, but we know it was an actual true skill vision of what was happening at that point. And Fitz once again thinks of his past. And this time, Chade comes to mind. Right. And he's worrying about Chade being out and about and not a secret anymore because when he was in the castle, King Shrewd took, took care of everything that Chade might have needed. Right. Kept his secrets, kept him, you know, fed. And, and he barely came out, but now he's out in the open and... Who knows what he's getting up to or how in danger he might be. Right. And he's very worried about the danger aspect because now Regal knows about him. Yep. And interrupting his thoughts is Honey, who gets up in the middle of the night and comes down to him uh, in the dark of the barn. The three minstrels are sleeping up in the loft and Fitz is down in the, the bottom of the barn in a corner. She approaches him and says that she's having nightmares and trouble sleeping as well, and Fitz can commiserate with her. And eventually she just kind of, you know, makes an overt, like, you know, it would be much nicer to have comfort and you feel so alone at dark nights like this and stuff like that. Um, And Night Eyes chimes in and says, I think she wants to mate with you. Will they accept you into their pack so easily? And Fitz is very startled by this. He's like, asked what aloud? And she repeats herself. I said, it's lonely to wake at night and be afraid. One longs for a way to feel safe, protected. Fitz is very unused to all of this right. sort of talk. Also, super funny that a dog could tell, sorry, a wolf could tell that a <laughs> woman was flirting with Fitz. And Fitz himself was like, wait, what? <laughs> True. <laughs> He's like, wow, I just thought she was having nightmares. <laughs> I mean, she was. I mean, yeah, she was. 
But <laughs> so Fitz feels awkward and wishes she would leave, but doesn't really tell her outright to leave and isn't sure how to go on. And just tells her that he doesn't know how to fix the nightmares. She tries to, you know, hold it, touch his hand, just try to make a move. And Fitz rips his hand away, which causes her to think he's being coy. And he has to outright say, I lost someone I cared for, I said bluntly. I have no heart to put another in her place. I see. She rose abruptly, shaking straw from her skirts. While I'm sorry to have disturbed you, she sounded insulted, not sorry. She turned and groped her way back to the loft ladder. I knew I had offended her, and I did not feel it was my fault. So, <laughs> it just ends kind of rough, which is pretty on par for Fitz. Yeah, but also I don't feel... He's in the wrong there. No, no. It's. <laughs> I definitely think saying no if you don't want something is good. Yeah. Um, I feel sorry for Honey. I think she's probably they're probably around the same age. So they she's, are. Yeah. If it's fits no to that. Yeah. Before. So she's pretty young. She's probably not all that experienced with guys. Maybe she is. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but I'm sure. I remember at that age that. It's hard to figure out boys and or just anyone that you have a crush on. Well, also, like, she's probably been lonely for a while. It's just been her family walking around from town to town trying to get work and stuff. Right. And then Hottie McCotterson comes and is going to guard you and your family. Like, what do you want? The the Farseers (laughs) are gorgeous. And apparently, even with Fitz's broken nose, he is hot. So he's a looker. That's for sure. (laughs) I don't know. I do. I feel sorry for her because I think this is just a young woman who doesn't take rejection well, which right. especially when you're young is hard. But even adults have trouble accepting rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is interesting to see this awkward exchange and Fitz being like, I don't like this, but not ever verbalizing that very well. He's right. just expecting her to go away soon. <laughs> <laughs> Night Eyes and Fitz have a conversation in their head about like, yeah, maybe I should have never come to town. This will be over soon. But Fitz is insistent that he has to travel with them for a few days to the next town. And Night Eyes is very consu- uh, very confused by this. Right. He doesn't understand the thoughts that Fitz is trying to get across to him. And Fitz says, all I could convey was a sense of duty, and he could not grasp how my loyalty to Verity bound me to help these travelers on the road. They were my people because they were my kings. Even I found the connection so tenuous as to be ridiculous, but there it was. I would see them safely to the next town. I think this is an excuse, and I think that's why Night Eyes isn't getting it. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, Fitz himself sees that it's very tenuous right but i think it's fits falling back into the same pattern this sense of well if i have something that i have to do then it's not my fault if i get sidetracked because somebody's counting on me and i think it's just that sense of duty that he has and he puts so much weight on his own shoulders when other people would just walk away and he has that several times throughout this chapter of moments of i could walk away right now and he doesn't and i don't know i think 
that's definitely a positive attribute to have, but I don't think he thinks of it in a very positive way. Right. So it's negatively impacting him. I'm going to bring up a couple things here. Um, the first one I don't necessarily agree with, but we had this conversation before that his sense of duty was skilled into him mm-hmm. by, I think, Shrewd right. was our discussion. Uh, and that could be a lingering thing that he couldn't form it into words and he had to stay with these people to help. But I don't I don't necessarily agree with that because I, I more so agree with your side of it, that it's it's him falling back into his own patterns, but also... I think he truly does care for the people. Right. And he wants to help people even at a detriment to himself. And we have discussed that before with his willingness <laughs> to throw his life away for whatever cause. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't so much yeah. as matter as long as his king's name is attached to it. And also, I think he's just been lonely. He, he wants to be by people. He has that realization later on in this chapter as well, but he hasn't verbalized it to himself yet. But he is lonely for humans. Right. He falls back asleep, though. Finally. But all the talk of nightmares makes him have more nightmares. He feels as though Will is searching for him. Yeah. I could sense Will looking for me as if I were hiding under a blanket and hands were patting it. He was that close. Do you think this is really Will looking for him? Yes, I do. Combined with a couple sentences before that in the paragraph where he says that I experienced a sense that I was being watched. I cowered low inside my cell, praying that I could not be seen. I think in his mind, he is cowering, he's hiding mm-hmm. and his previous skill reaching out drew the curiosity of will. Right. And he couldn't quite pin it down. And, and later on when he does skill again in this chapter, will does finally catch up to him. Right. But I think this is what first alerts Will to the sense that, oh, maybe someone else out there is doing something. I need to find them and drain them. (laughs) Yeah. Not necessarily that it's Fitz. Right. But that Will is searching for somebody skilled. Yeah. It's very interesting. I think the first time I read this, I did not think this was really Will. But this time I was like, that's really Will. Oh, my gosh. Fitz, get out of there. (laughs) But he does get out of there. Yeah, he says, in a panic, I went out of myself sideways, slipping into somebody else's fear and someone else's nightmare. And we get a few pages of him being inside a little boy. Yes, an 11-year-old boy named Chad. Yes, whose master has left him and told him to stay inside because there's a raid going on. Yes. This is kind of... uh, intense scene chad is hiding in the shop and debating on whether or not he should run yeah bro (laughs) and fitz is almost in a nightmare himself because he is telling this boy that he should run and the boy doesn't seem to know that he's there or acknowledge it Uh, so he comes out of hiding to check things out and we see that the town that he's in is almost completely on fire there are people running and he sees someone run by and he realizes maybe i should run too but as he turns he notices someone walking with a lantern and thinks oh they're so calm clearly the tides have turned and everything's going to be okay 
And then that person throws the lantern into the shop and it is a raider. And Chad then realizes it's too late and flees and is caught. Yeah. And in in that moment, Fitz is aware that this was not himself skilling necessarily. This was the boy's fledgling skill reaching out. And it kind of snared Fitz because Fitz wanted out of his body so badly. Right. So he's just along for the ride for this. And Chad is caught and by by two raiders and killed. And Fitz is ejected from Chad's body and can also kind of understand what's going on with the raiders because he is a skill ghost at that point. Right. And knows their thought process and what they were saying to each other that one of them was mad that they killed the boy because he could have been forged and the other one said well he's too young and doesn't have enough life behind him to be worth anything for the master or whatever and then also in his mind that the raider wanted to give a small mercy to the boy but also just wanted to kill somebody right and this insight just confuses Fitz more He doesn't understand the logic behind that. To me as a reader, I feel like I understand where this raider is coming from of that's a child and this is horrendous and I have to do this. But if a couple kids die, nobody's really going to notice. And honestly, it's better than forging them. But also I have all this pent up anger And I'm not allowed to use it on the people who deserve it. So at least I get to take it out in some way. Or even if he doesn't think that, even if he's one of the original raiders and doesn't think that the masters who are driving this forging are being bad, he still could be, you know, bloodthirsty or something and want to just kill people in battle. Like outlanders are proud and and usually honest in their fighting. Right. Quote unquote honest, (laughs) even though they like raid and stuff. So... The taking of people alive and bringing them back and then letting them loose probably doesn't sit well with normal raiders either. Also that, yeah. So as not Fitz, I kind of get it, but Fitz is really flabbergasted by this. This is just so far from his own moral compass and anything that he would do or anyone he knows would do that he cannot quite grasp any meaning from it. And it kind of just sends him wandering to watch as this city is torn down. Yes, Grimsmire Town in Burns Duchy. And after this encounter, he describes that he's going to individual after individual to fight, to struggle all over this town. Most ending up with defeats and and injuries and death and captures and once in a while a small victory of escape. And eventually After all of these nightmares, he is drawn to a man protecting his family while they struggle to get a trapped son out of their uh, collapsed house or something like that. Two daughters, a wife, a husband, and their boy trapped under a burning beam. Yep. And the man is holding off a raider or two raiders, three, three raiders, I think. Yes. With a sword in one hand, and he's obviously failing he's obviously weak from blood loss and 
probably did not have the skill to begin with to fight off these raiders, and the raiders are kind of toying with him right. just to make him fall down and collapse so they can collect everybody alive. And Fitz can only watch helplessly until suddenly a oddly familiar light appears into the man's eyes, and he lifts his head up. He gripped the sword in both hands and with a roar suddenly sprang at his attackers. Two went down before his first onslaught, dying with amazement still printed plain on their features. The third met his sword blade to blade, but could not overmatch his fury. Blood dripped from the townsman's elbow and sheened his chest, but the sword rang his like bells against the raiders, battering down his guard and then suddenly dancing in, light as a feather, to trace a line of red across the raider's throat. As his assailant fell, the man turned and sprang swiftly to his wife's side. He seized the burning beam, heedless of the flames, and lifted it off the, his son's body. For one last time, his eyes met those of his wife. Run, he told her. Take the children and flee. Then he crumpled into the street. He was dead. As the stony-faced woman seized her children's hands and raced off with them, I felt a wraith rise from the body of the man who had died. It's me, I thought to myself, and then knew it was not. It sensed me and turned, his face so like my own. Or it had been when he had been my age. It jolted me to think this was how Verity still perceived himself. And they talk a little bit. Yeah. So this is Verity skill walking, drawn to these places to still try to help his people. Right. Still addicted to the skill hopelessly. Right. And probably taking out his frustrations to try to kill as many raiders physically as he can. Yeah. And wasting his skill strength on this because Fitz could not do anything in a small child. And Verity is overtaking a whole man's body and sword fighting and beating off three opponents. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a showcase of the strength that, that Verity has, because obviously he would need to be very powerful to be able to do this, but also just he isn't killing himself in doing this. This yeah. isn't, he's still alive for months after this. And how long has he been doing this? How often does this happen? Was he doing this in the tower? And he, he knows he's what he's doing is wrong too but he's hopelessly addicted like right <laughs> it's just so interesting to see also the possibility of what the magic can do right but i don't know i think just reading this interaction it's really interesting to see how verity is truly doing so much for his country and no one will ever know Oh, yeah, no. No one will. Only fits, and probably only partially. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I think this this part really helped me better understand the sacrifices Verity was making. I understood what he was doing when he was making the raiders miss the coastline entirely. But I feel like he probably would have been doing this when it didn't work. Yeah. I can imagine. And... Shrewd was also drawn here, yeah, so maybe he would, in the beginning Shrewd was too. Well, Shrewd, I'm sure, I, I, I think with his strength, was only able to witness. Right. And Fitz says that he can still recall 
often a lot of the people he visited and a lot of the fates that were met as if he had lived them. Right. And Verity has been doing this for the whole two years of the war. Yeah. I bet that's why he's able to make a stone dragon almost entirely his by himself. So many memories of How different many thousands experiences of experiences and yeah. It's so wild. Like it it's so good because this is such a small scene and it has so much implication for the whole book. I don't know. It's just like stuff like this <laughs> that really makes me love Robin Hobbs work that this little nugget, it's kind of a throwaway scene. I mean, it's interesting, but when you really think about it, it implies so much more. And he was able to save four of his people. Yeah. How many others did he save that night? We don't know. Or in the past. Yeah. And Not enough, you would think, but... But it's, still a lot. Yeah. But if we're not thinking of this in terms of knowing the end, this is ridiculously wasteful. Yep. <laughs> and he he knows that too. He says, this is dangerous. Why are you here? Even I'm a fool to attempt this. And yet, what else can we do when they call us to them? He considered me standing so mute before him. When did you gain the strength and the talent to skill walk? I made no reply. I had no answers, no thoughts of my own. I felt I was a wet sheet flapping in the night wind, no more substantial than a blowing leaf. Fitz, this is a danger to both of us. Go back, go back now. Is there truly a magic in the naming of a man's name? So much of the old lore insists there is. I suddenly recalled who I was and that I did not belong here, but I had no concept of how I had come here, let alone how to return to my body. I gazed at Verity helplessly, unable to even for formulate a request for help. He knew. He reached a ghostly hand toward me. I felt his push as if he had placed the heel of his hand on my forehead and given a gentle shove. Fitz hits his head on the back of his back of the head on the barn wall and, and jolts awake and is extremely, extremely weak from his skilling. The weakness that often possessed me after I had managed to use the skill broke over me like a wave. I opened my mouth to call for help, but only a wordless caw escaped my lips. I closed my eyes and sank into oblivion. So he wakes up from this skill thing and then passes out from how weak he is. Right. And then wakes up again right about dawn. Yeah. So clearly horrible for Verity to be doing alone. Who knows where in the middle of the mountains. But... He's doing it. <laughs> so Fitz wakes up, begs a cup of hot water from the uh, the cook at the inn. And he crumbles his elf bark leaves that he got harvested before he left the cabin. And she is just sitting there in disbelief, staring at him, saying, like, that's not good for you. Don't drink all that. That's what they give to slaves to keep their energy up and their spirits down. Yeah. Like you, you're a young man. You shouldn't be doing this. Right. And Fitz has his own moral compass, so this does not bother him <laughs> in the least. No, he just sits and waits for it to work. And eventually right. it does because they're young leaves and not as potent as he wants. Right. <laughs> um, also, interestingly... The cook says it's what they do to the slaves in Bingtown. Yep. But I don't think slaves are being sold from Bingtown at this moment in time. 
not directly in Bingtown, but we had an excerpt at the beginning of the previous chapter, I don't remember which one, that said that all of the slaves were traded through Bingtown and on right. their ships. Because that's where pretty much all trade goes through. Right. So it could still be something of like, you know, the ships have a bunch of elf bark and they do the same thing, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, it's just interesting because I know that's like a big plot point in the next yeah. series. And Althea talks about how none of the live ship traders do it because their ships won't let them. And it's horrible. Right. I mean, horrible anyway, but no, nobody wants to submit their ship to that torture. Right. And then some people, some of the new money people are doing it. And like a lot of people, old families are starting to turn to it because it's the only way to make money. Right. So it felt like, I, I mean, guess yeah. it could be just because she is a small time in cook in the middle of nowhere, six right. duchies, and they don't get a lot of news and it just kind of, it seems mutates like, right. Between, you know, big town, Chelsea, right. anything. So they're all different countries. So. Right. Right. That's a good point. Unreliable news doesn't always have to be uh, completely true. That's that's very fair. And so he is taking a little walk around and thinking about what he experienced. And by daylight, he's looking at this town and saying, oh, there's even more beggars than in Buckkeep Town. Maybe I'm just used to Buckkeep in general, but we know it's truly how poor the six duchies are getting. At least the coastal duchies are getting at this point. And he's thinking about how he should not have skilled. He's super weak. Verity should not be doing this. At least Verity is alive. <laughs> <laughs> but also, with the elf bark coursing through him, his last sentence of this thought is, If only I had mastered the skill, I would not have had to wonder. It was not a thought to cheer one. I wonder if Verity was alive still. Right. Because... In, in his head, because he did not master the skill, and it's his fault he didn't do so, then everything bad has happened. And that's just the lingering guilt he's had forever. It's his fault for not being able to skill, to connect with Verity, to help Verity in any way. Right. And I'm sure it's enhanced a little bit by the elf bark. <laughs> he returns to the inn, and the minstrels are up and ready to move, and they are... Uh, Ready to move on. Josh kind of feared that Fitz had left them because they woke to find him gone. Mm -hmm. But he came back and they're they're getting ready to go. And they they head along it to the towards the next town. Fitz can see or sense, excuse me, that Night Eyes is kind of shadowing them, but he also can't leave to go see to his wolf because that'd be pretty suspicious. Right. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> want anyone to find out that he's witted. And he also observes that a few times Josh has politely asked uh, if they can get a ride with passing travelers who have wagons or anything like that. Two times ignored, two times said politely no, and one of those people had a bunch of guards around, hired guards around them. So obviously Fitz is seeing more with his eyes rather than just the news that the roads are dangerous and people just aren't as friendly anymore. Right. He also notes that he is genuinely surprised that Harper Josh Harper Josh is 
as knowledgeable as he is, especially about the history of the area they're in as they're going along. And he's just talking and pointing things out to his daughters. Yep. Because he's trying to teach them how to be a minstrel and, and what knowledge they need. Right. And I think it's funny because we know through Fitz that that's kind of a minstrel's job is to right. remember history. And he's like, whoa, they remember history. <laughs> uh, but that's not the only thing that Fitz learns from Harper Josh. Because Harper Josh is trying to teach Piper Piper Crossfire's Sacrifice, the long poem about Queen Vision's coterie and how they laid down their lives that she might win a crucial battle. And this is one that we've heard of multiple times. Yes. Crossfire's Coterie pops up again and again. And this is the the one where they all had some physical deformity and uh, were a very strong coterie and gave all of their strength to their queen at the end of it. I think we've talked about it and it's popped up before in, in maybe the first book even. And Fitz notes that here is that he had heard it a couple times before at Buckkeep. Mm-hmm. But by the time the day was done, he had heard it a few score times. <laughs> right. Which gives him a pretty good knowledge of it. Uh, he decides to set up camp for the night. They're nowhere close to town, so they have to do it outside. And this scares the group. And he can't really reassure them that Night Eyes has okayed the clearing. So he just has to hope that they trust him. And they do. He finds a fallen tree to set up under so that they have some sort of blockage and they feel more safe but he feels safe because he had a wolf tell him everything is clear right and he leaves them to go fishing and he manages to catch some fish leaves a couple with night eyes of course and (laughs) and heads back to uh back to camp right of course they're worried when they when he comes back and he doesn't really announce himself until late because it's fits. Right. He didn't tell them what he was going to do. It's like you were gone for a long time there, <laughs> Cobb. And he's like, "Yeah, I was getting fish." And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> and the funny thing is is Fitz doesn't realize why they're acting this way. He doesn't comment. He doesn't think it's odd necessarily or at least he doesn't comment on it. But he doesn't ever have the thought of, oh, yeah, I probably should have told them where I was going. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely out of practice with people. <laughs> and he is worried that the smell of the cooking fish could draw forged ones, but it does smell delicious. Night Eyes reminds him that he is keeping watch, so they should be fairly safe from, from forged ones, at least surprising them this night. Right. Which they don't. They, they go through the night pretty uneventfully. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact while Fitz is tending to the fish, Piper is trying to recite the poem to herself to get it down in her head, and he just kind of corrects her out of distracted memory. Yes. Absentmindedly he corrects her, and she insists she had it right, but Harper Josh perks up and says, nope. Fitz is right. Could you name? Cobb is correct. Sorry, Cobb is correct. (laughs) And then asks if he could name the all seven. Mm -hmm. And so Fitz recites part of the poem. Yeah, pretty much the exact phrasing and words of all the poem, that section. And Josh kind of has to cut him off and say, whoa, have you had bards training, Cobb, when you were small? You've caught the phrasing as well as the words, though you make your pauses a bit too plain. 
Josh asks, like, could you recite the whole thing? And Fitz has to say, perhaps I hedged, even though he knows that he could. Right. Like, from memory right now, he could just <laughs> say it all because they've been repeating the same thing all day. And also, Burek <laughs> and Chade have trained him his whole life on memory. Yeah, Burek so. made him report military style since he was a child, and Chade literally practiced memory games with him. Right. So, so yes, he definitely 100% could, but yes. he also doesn't want to come off as too eager to do this. Right. Because he knows that this could lead down a path that it already starts leading down. Yeah, so Josh asks him to recite it, but not just say it, but to sing it, and convinces Fitz to do so. And so, in defiance of uh, Honey's face, the look on Honey's face that plainly told me she doubted that Fitz could do it, he does so. Right. He also makes mentions that maybe it's also because he has a hard time not doing what old men tell him to right. from years of habit. <laughs> Perhaps obeying old men was simply too deep a habit with me for me to defy it. Which I thought was kind of funny. That's yeah, a funny uh, <laughs> statement. So he gets about halfway through it with, uh, with Harper Josh wincing at his sour notes once in a while. But uh, he has to stop because Honey points out that the fish is burning, even though it's just the tails and they have a meal and then they talk about it a little bit over the dinner. Right. So Harper Josh is basically offering Cobb a job that yeah. he would train him. That He's a little old to be learning, but if he's willing, Harper Josh could definitely train him and asks if he knows how to play any instruments. Fitz says only the C-pipes. But, bad, but badly. <laughs> yes, and he says, well, I could make you a great C-pipe player. And the only problem with your voice is that you sing like a boy with no understanding that you have a man's lungs now. Yeah. Um, and Fitz is getting more and more kind of anxious, I guess, just because he doesn't want this and he doesn't really know how to stop this right yeah he doesn't want to be beholden to anybody again that was the whole point for pushing his loved ones away to begin with and now he he just wanted to escort these people to help out verity and then he just feels himself getting pulled and in and pulled in and reeled in right which also just side note i think it's really funny that Fitz would make a really good bard yeah <laughs> it's all his assassin training um which really shows that D&D has it correct that Bard is a fighting class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, he has a fantastic memory, so... He does. It's insane. But in between this, Honey pipes up saying, he's a stranger dad. And her dad says, <laughs> well, not so much of a stranger that you didn't try to sleep with him last night. Which makes everybody go, uh-oh. <laughs> Father, all we did was talk. She flashed a look at me as if I had betrayed her. My tongue had turned to leather in my mouth. I know, Josh agreed. Blindness seems to have sharpened my hearing. But if you have judged him someone safe to talk to, alone, at night, then perhaps I have judged him someone safe to offer a company to as well. What say you, Cobb? And so he, uh, Fitz here declines the offer, stating that... Uh, I wish you well in finding other companions to travel with you from there, but I have no real wish you know, to be attached. Right. And Josh says, you lost someone dear to you. I understand that. But total solitude is not good for any man. Piper asks who he lost and Fitz 
has to think of a, the best way to say this. And he says that uh, he lost his grandfather and his wife. That his grandfather died and the wife left him. The old die in their time, Josh began gently, but Honey cut in brusquely with, That was the love you lost? What can you owe to a woman who left you, unless you gave her cause to leave you? It was more that I did not give her cause to stay, I admitted unwillingly. Then, Please, I said bluntly, I do not wish to speak of these things, at all. I will see you to the next town, but then my way is my own. Well, that's clearly spoken, Josh said regretfully. Something in his tone made me feel I had been rude, but there was no words I wished to call back. And that's the second time in this chapter that he has made some remark of somebody is offended, but I don't want, I don't think I said anything wrong. Or right. I, there's nothing that I feel I need to apologize for. Which kind of indicates of his, you know, again, how out of touch he is with communicating and his social skills, because there are definitely ways he could have put that more eloquently, right. more tactfully. Right. But also, like, I still agree with him. <laughs> yeah. I think his problem is his delivery. He's super blunt because he doesn't have a ton of practice talking with people. And the last people he had practiced talking with were Chade and Burek, who, let's be honest, not great conversationalists. Well, so Chade can be. He can be, but not in this context. Right. And... Right. I think that hurts him more in the long run because <laughs> he hasn't practiced this skill in probably over a year now with talking to people who aren't Chade or Burek. <laughs> so it's it's just really kind of humorous almost to see him flounder, but also a little sad. Right. I also agree that it's not necessarily that he should feel sorry that he said what he said, but he could have been more delicate. Right. In the night when they're changing shifts of watching, Honey wakes up Fitz to take his shift, and they have a little conversation before she goes to bed. Again, she she comes on to him, flirts with him, basically saying, like, hey, we can be together here. You don't like me, do you? But still pushing her way through and saying that she was very interested in him since she saw him blush in the tavern the first time, wondering what he was thinking to make him blush. And Fitz replies honestly that, you know, only that I have been rude to stare. <laughs> and she is very forthcoming with what she was thinking about. And Fitz again says no, and she says something very rude and walks away. Right. I feel bad for both parties involved for honey because getting rejected isn't very fun and for Fitz because honey just isn't taking the hint right it is really frustrating to see her just kind of continuously ignore the no and to think well it's not a real no and then as soon as as he stands firm on the no lashing out and being rude mm-hmm and again, maybe Fitz could have been more delicate, but honestly, at this point, he's well within his right to be rude because he's already told her multiple times no, and she is pushing it anyway. <laughs> so sometimes it's okay to be rude. And honestly, if it makes her stop, good for him. <laughs> Although it does not give her a friendly opinion of him. Honey is being a hashtag nice girl right now. <laughs> She's very pick me energy right now. Yeah. 
And so in the morning, Fitz is pretty brusque and just saying, like, how far to the next town? Like, are we almost there? I just want to leave. And uh, Josh is, of course, very disappointed, but thinks that they can make it tonight. Like this, to this next night. And... No, tomorrow noon. Oh, tomorrow noon. Sorry. (laughs) And so Fitz in his head is thinking all of this over and thinking that he had walked away from people that Fitz had known and cared about to avoid the very situation that he was now in with strangers. I wondered if there was any way to live amongst other people and refuse to be harnessed by their expectations and dependencies. No. (laughs) No, yeah, there's not really. I think that's just part of living life. I mean, to be fair, this is a lot of responsibility and expectations thrust on somebody that you have met the day before. Right. However, the answer is no fits. Right. I, <laughs> I think the thing is, Fitz feels like he's a criminal if he tells people no to their expectations. And part of the balance of life is knowing that you just can't live up to everybody's expectations all the time. And just figuring out which expectations you personally want to go for and which ones you can sacrifice a little bit of your happiness to go for to help people you love. Right. And I think that's something that he doesn't quite grasp. And it could be his youth, his youthfulness, but it could also be just the way he was raised Mm -hmm. and that it has to be so transactional. And that means there's no love or love only means transaction. But in some way, yes. And in a bigger way, no. (laughs) Right. And so the next day while they're walking, his thoughts kind of drift around. And he thinks that in the past he had been so confident in himself. He had thought himself so clever in dealing with people. But he had so much support and so many resources at his fingertips for everything. He didn't have to worry about his next meal or clean shirt. He had Chade to, like, tell him what to do or plot with or bounce ideas off. And now he's very disappointed in himself with his limited resources and wonders if he, you know, has any of the abilities that he thought he used to have. If he actually did live up to what he thought he could do. So right now Fitz is, is hurting emotionally. He's scarred from his past. He is lonely, but he's also thinking, like, maybe I'm not as good of a person or skilled of a person as I thought I was. So maybe I'm just less of everything. Right. He's very down on himself. Right. And I think this is just something that everybody goes through when they become an adult. You have to figure it out on your own. And sometimes that makes you feel like, oh, my gosh, maybe I wasn't a gifted student like all my teachers told me or whatever. But I think because Fitz is who he is, he only latches onto the negatives yeah. and doesn't realize, considering he's been trying to come back from the grave for the past year, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, better than I'm sure most people would. So he is still talented. And yes, there are downfalls in cutting ties with everyone you know and not using any of the opportunities given to you. And it makes things harder. But Ultimately, it's going to make him stronger if he lets it. And I don't think he sees that side of the coin. Right. He's only focused on the negative sides. Mm -hmm. So he suggests to Josh to camp a little bit earlier so he can do some hunting and fishing. 
And Josh reminds him that that will push the destination of the next town to tomorrow night, not tomorrow noon. And Fitz, you know, says that soon enough, but doesn't respond to the look of appeal that Josh has to, like, join them again. He's still intent on splitting up with them after getting them to the next town and just leaving. But he's also pragmatic in that they're running out of food. Right. So they need some provisions. They need some food, some meals uh, to keep them going. Then we get the bad news from Night Eyes. Yeah. He was scouting and, and all of a sudden sensed forged ones. There are men here smelling of carrion and their own filth. I can smell them. I can see them. But I cannot sense them otherwise. The distress he always felt in the presence of forged ones drifted back to me. I shared it. I knew that they had once been human, and shared that wit spark that every living creature does. To me, it was passing strange to see them move and speak when I could not sense they were alive. To night eyes, it was as if stones walked in eight. And there... He can't get an accurate count because it's a wolf. <laughs> right. So... All that Night Eyes can convey to Fitz is that there are more than you and they are bigger than you. So Fitz makes the decision to stand and fight in the road because they've already sensed them and are on their way. So he warns the group just kind of abruptly and says that to Piper's cry that we should run that no, no, we can't because we're just going to be exhausted and they're going to catch up anyways. We might as well fight here while we have energy don't want to waste any energy and he kind of strips off his uh backpack knowing that nothing in there is worth his life gets into an easy stance of a fighter with his staff and is all ready to to fight he's separating them from separating himself from piper and honey who are flanking josh and josh is standing there nervous obviously because he's blind just holding his staff and all of a sudden josh speaks up and says Cobb, take care of Honey and Piper. Don't worry about me, just don't let them get hurt, Josh ordered me tersely. His words broke through to me, and suddenly terror flooded me. My body lost its easy, ready stance, and all I could think of was the pain defeat would bring me. I felt sick and shaky and wanted more than anything to simply turn and run with no thought for the minstrels. Wait, wait, I wanted to cry to the day. I am not ready for this. I do not know if I will fight or run or simply faint where I stand. But time knows no mercy. They come through the brush, Night Eyes told me. Two come swiftly and one legs behind. I think he shall be mine. And so Fitz here is in his head about remembered pain. His, his mind is shying away from anything that could cause his body pain. He remarks on it later in the chapter a little bit, saying that it's more than just the pain. You, a, a man or somebody takes pride in their body, and it's not just physical pain, it's mental scarring and mental pain as well to see your body get destroyed. Right. And he's been through that and does not want that to happen again. And so he is right back in it with his fear I wonder if this shaking him out of his easy, ready stance to fight by Harper Josh is a good thing because better he does it right before they come than when they get there. But maybe 
it wouldn't have happened until he got hit if he missed or something. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of of the same opinion of you. I don't know whether it would be good or not <laughs> because maybe he was acting on instinct before, fell into the stance, and if they fought right away, maybe he would have been fine. Right. Maybe it would have went better. But who knows? Right. You can't really tell. You can't expect or predict a reaction of a of a broken man. No. And in this passage, before the fight, Fitz kind of talks a little bit about forged people. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says, forging did not make folks stupid nor slow. Just because they can't feel their own emotions anymore doesn't mean that they become less than the person that they were. They just don't have the moral grounds to stop them from just doing whatever they want whenever they want. And sometimes it made them incomprehensible to predict. Right. Because, you know, you can hit somebody and it they would feel pain and might flinch back, but a forged one feels that pain less and they might just do something completely different than you expect. So it's 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 hard to react. Right. And this describing of how forged people are still people was really interesting to me because I was thinking back on how Fitz describes his time with Night Eyes and the being he kind of is in this in-between state where he's trying to become human again. Yeah. And he still feels emotions, but not necessarily the same emotions as he does fully human. Right. And there's also the sense of living in the now and just doing whatever your senses tell you is most important. And clearly there's a difference because he doesn't describe the forged ones as like I was when I was, you know, becoming man again or whenever he was in that period talking about how he was basically a forged one that never comes up. And so I'm wondering if the soul of the people who were forged in the skill stone or the skill dragons that have people's essences in them, if that sensation is similar to when a witted person shares their soul with an animal. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, th I think there are similar reactions and stuff, but I also think that anyone who had the old blood would be very offended at that comparison. <laughs> Fair. So I, I, I hesitate to say that they're related because I don't think they are related, but I think they have similar outcomes for certain things. Right. Because Fitz remembers his body from when he wasn't in it. Right. He doesn't want to, and he pushes away a lot of those memories, but he does touch on how he has memories from when it was just a body and not him, right. which is something that happens to forged people when they come back. And so it's just an interesting concept that potentially fits if he were to leave his body behind and go with night eyes without dying. Maybe it could be similar to a forged one or maybe it'd be more coma like because all of him is gone. There's not a little piece left behind. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it just made me think that they're very similar, but clearly different. And I can't necessarily figure out the line between the two. <laughs> um, so if anybody has any, any ideas, please feel free to reach out. We would love to hear your take.
Fitz remarks that Honey and Piper obviously have no fighting experience, and he's going over what he strategically knows of Forged Ones, and yet with all of his preparation, he's kind of relieved that the Forged Ones are obviously just going for the weaker two in the back and pass him by. And he kind of freezes up as they run past him, and then gets into motion and starts attacking one of them. Right. He does have a, a small thought of, I could run right now. I could get away and leave them behind. I don't owe them anything, but fights instead. Mm-hmm. This is where he thinks about his body and what pain does. Uh, he's again thinking of the forged ones, that pain seemed to affect them less. I know, I know we had discussions on this uh, a few times beforehand, if the forged ones feel any pain at all. And they do, we've decided, because they do roar with pain, even even if it is kind of like remembered. Right. Of that they should feel pain, but they don't react to it the way any sane animal or human would. Right. And they just can like fight through it because it's not debilitating and they don't care for their own body, which is where Fitz comes in thinking about that a, um, that people have a deep desire to keep their body functioning well and um, you take pride in your body when it's damaged it's more than a physical thing and Regal knows that with every punch that his guardsmen were doing it was scarring him mentally as well as physically because you can't protect your body and you're, you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life and so he's he's thinking about that fear that he has and he's not fighting well he's on the complete defensive and very timid at that he's barely blocking things he recognizes the one that he's fighting has had some skill in the past he might have been a warrior with an axe he's blocking moves that he recognizes makes one little attack it's easily ignored and he's just completely on the defensive i gave ground so readily that he just he glanced back over his shoulder perhaps thinking he could just turn away from me and go after the women I managed a timid reply to one of his blows. He barely flinched. He did not weary, nor did he give me space to take advantage of my longer weapon. Unlike me, he was not distracted by the shouts of the minstrels as they strove to defend themselves. Back up in the trees, I could hear muffled curses and faint growls. Night Eyes had stalked the third man, had rushed in to attempt to hamstring him. He had failed, but now he circled him, keeping well out of range of the sword he carried. I do not think I can get past his blade, brother, but I think I can delay him here. He dares not turn his back on me to come down and attack you. And Fitz is still on the defensive. He's fighting this forged one and and really can't compete because he's overmatched. His endurance as a fighter is not what it once was. Even if he is healthy, he's not... He has not been rowing for the past full summer. He has not been practicing fighting. He doesn't have that same Mm -hmm. endurance or those same muscles built up anymore. Right. He also talks about how desperation to avoid injury is not the same as determination to win. And so because he does not have that, he's really failing here. And there is a difference when you're doing something so you don't get hurt versus doing something because you know you're going to do it until you win. And poor Fitz is just <laughs> struggling to just not get hurt. Right, yeah. And he's catching glimpses of the minstrels, seeing that 
Honey is limping backwards as the man pursued her, the other forged one. Piper is following, ineffectually just hitting him around the shoulders, so he yells, go for the legs, and then has to go back to his own problem of defending. And all of a sudden, he feels a sword slice his shoulder and skim along the rib cage. I cried out in astonishment and nearly dropped my staff before I realized the injury wasn't mine. I felt as much as heard Night Eyes' surprised yelp of pain, and then the impact of a boot to my head. Dazed. Cornered. Help me! There were other memories, deeper memories, buried beneath my recall of the beatings Regal's guards had inflicted on me. Years before then, I had felt the slash of a knife and the impact of a boot, but not on my own flesh. A terrier I had bonded with, Smithy, not even full-grown, had fought in the dark against one who had attacked Beric in my absence, fought, and died later of his injuries, before I could even reach his side again. I discovered abruptly there was a threat more potent than my own death. Fear for myself crumpled away before my terror of losing Night Eyes. Suddenly, Fitz is kind of back. Yeah, he says, uh, I did I, what I knew I had to do. I shifted my stance, stepped in, and accepted the blow on my shoulder to bring me in range. So, this whole time, he's defensive, he's scared of getting hurt. When, deep down, he always knew that he would have to take one hit from the guy's weapon, yep. accept the pain and move on in order to defeat him because Fitz is not outmatched by this guy. No. This is a forged one who is acting on instinct and going with his wants. Yes, he could have been trained, but Fitz was trained by the best in the six duchies. Right. By Hod, who was literally the best warrior. Yep. By Verity a little bit. And then by Beric, who is also considered one of the fiercest warriors. Yeah. He has really good training. And I think this is a really interesting thing to touch on. The idea that it's not his own brink of death that brings him out of it. It's somebody else's. It's Night Eyes. It's somebody yeah. he cares about. And I find that really potent, I guess, because as someone who suffers from anxiety sometimes to me it feels like I'm going to die if I have to ask for an extra napkin at a restaurant or <laughs> you know just like little things that aren't that bad clearly not as bad as getting attacked by someone with a weapon but the second a friend or a loved one is like oh man I need a napkin but I'm too scared to ask all of a sudden I have no fears anymore and I will go right up and ask for anything that they need whereas for myself it's too hard and I kind of think that sometimes it's a good thing to use that strength to, like, work on yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in this case, it's super helpful because Fitz is recognizing that the pain is only temporary and the payoff is a much greater reward. In this case, it's not an extra napkin. It is saving the life of his wit partner. Right. And... I'm, it was just really interesting to read something that felt very true to real life to me. And I could really empathize with this moment of, okay, it's not about me anymore. It's about helping someone else. And he does what's necessary and what he knew to, he had to do and rushes off into the woods after he kills that forged one he was facing off with. 
He is led to Night Eyes, where Night Eyes is cornered in thickets, thorns, trying to get away from the man at the sword. And Fitz, seeing Night Eyes, gathers all of his courage and suddenly just kind of <laughs> uh, stabs him through the back with no point on his staff. Yeah. Just that is so much power, <laughs> brute strength to do that. Yeah, I wonder if it's partially adrenaline. Yeah, you know how definitely. they say like a mother could lift a car off of a baby during adrenaline, right? So I'm sure it's partially that, but also crazy to think about how berserker fits running yeah. around the battlefield. Someone he loves is hurt, and he has to protect him. Mama bear does not I know. play. Yeah. <laughs> And so together they they fight and kill that last Forge One. All of a sudden he hears some cries of anguish from the road. He had forgotten about them until that time, so he stoops and grabs up the sword and rush, rushes back. Night Eyes is uh, flopping down exhausted, just licking his wounds in the, in the forest. Danger passed for him for the moment. And Fitz rushes off back towards the road where uh, Piper has her arms broken. Josh is on the ground from being knocked down and trying to crawl towards Piper's screams. And the forged one is on top of Honey, trying to uh, tear up her clothes. And Fitz pushes him off and stabs him with the sword. And eventually Honey finishes that forged one off as well with the staff. And then Fitz kind of has a panic attack. When it's done, he says, My vision dimmed and cleared and dimmed again. Piper's screams of pain might have been the distant crying of seabirds. Suddenly, there was too much of everything, and I was everywhere. Up in the woods, I licked at my shoulder, a laying aside of defense, fur with my tongue, a careful probing of the slash as I coated it with saliva. And yet... I sat in the sun on the road, smelling dust and blood and excrement as the slain man's bowels loosened. I felt every blow I had taken and dealt, the exertion as well as the jolting damage of the club's impact. The savage way I had killed suddenly had a different connotation to me. I knew what it was to feel the kind of pain I had inflicted. I knew what they had felt down to the struggling without hope with death as their only escape from more pain. My mind vibrated between the extremes of killer and victim. I was both and alone. Yeah, and it, it really is a great demonstration of the wit being... I, I don't, I'm hesitant to say a detriment because right. it's... It doesn't seem like a detriment, but for a warrior who is fighting in battles, it is. Right. He's so connected with the world around him and so tired of being closely leashed that this outpouring of emotion and this close realization that the pain is what he is fearing, his damage and destruction to his body, and seeing him driven to do that to other people really messes with him. Right. I think it's also just the mental game of I did this. Right. Yeah. I am what Regal is. How am I different? How is this better? And it is different. But I think that end of I am alone is what makes it worse. 
I almost feel like if he still was in talks with Chade or Verity or Burek, maybe he could get over this a little bit more because there would be someone there to hug him and comfort him and say, you did what you had to do. Yeah. And they're not there to do that. And Night Eyes is healing and almost died. And he's not necessarily the person to be comforted from (laughs) at the moment. It's just so sad. (laughs) This time the battle was over and I was alive, but no one save the wolf cared. I loved him, but suddenly I knew that I longed for a human touch as well. The separation from those who had cared about me was more than I could bear. Had I been truly a wolf, I would have lifted my nose to the sky and howled. As it was, I reached out, in a way I cannot describe. Not the wit, not the skill, but some unholy blending of the two. A terrible questing for someone, anywhere, who might care to know I was alive. Almost I felt something. Did Burek perhaps somewhere lift up his head and looked about the field he worked in? Did he for an instant smell blood and dust instead of the rich earth he turned up to harvest the root crops? Did Molly straighten up from her laundering and set her hands to her aching back and look about, wondering at a sudden pang of desolation? Did I tug at Verity's weary consciousness, distract patience for a moment or or two from sorting her herbs on the drying trays, set Chade to frowning as he set a scroll aside? Like a moth battering against a window, I rattled myself against their consciousnesses. I longed to feel the affection I had taken for granted. Almost, I thought, I reached them, only to fall back exhausted into myself, sitting alone in the dust of the road, with the blood of three men spattered on me. Do you think he really did reach them? I think, I I believe him that he did as he described maybe just brought a faint remembrance to their eyes like Molly describes later how once in a while she would you know tear up or something and that's usually like in the scenes that we see Mm -hmm. um when he skills into nettle later I believe like once in a while she'll just be like the Beric and her will talk about fits or something or mention it just a sort of like you can feel his presence there I, I think it's something like that. Not not quite reaching them and saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. Right. I just think it's interesting, this distinction of this is a clear merging of the wit and skill to reach them. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how it really differs from either or, but maybe it's more of a feeling than a knowing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I d- yeah, I don't know either. I'm hesitant to put any words to it because it's... It is unknowable for us. Right. So I I feel like this time it doesn't matter because it could be both with both of the skill and the wit there. But it does give kind of a sense of hopelessness. (laughs) Right. I mean, the way he he describes it. Right. Unholy blend rattling against their consciousness like a moth at a window. And it only (laughs) reaches them for a few seconds and they don't fully acknowledge it. It's like you're stuck at a window. And oh, it, I feel so heartbroken for Fitz in this moment. And then he gets attacked by Honey. Well, not attacked, attacked. Verbally but, attacked by Honey, yes. saying that he ran away. Yeah. And she's not very supportive. And Fitz is too tired to argue. He doesn't explain why he left. Because he's thinking about how 
he can't really tell them about Night Eyes, so might as well just not talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. And lets them all just believe that he ran away out of cowardice. And Harper Josh tries to calm down Honey by saying, well, at least he came back. That's all that matters. Yeah. And also out of exhaustion, he doesn't try to explain. He's just done with everything. Right. There were a thousand answers to that and none. The emptiness inside me assured me that nothing would be solved by speaking to her. And he ignores Hunter Josh as well. He just kind of gets up and does some chores. He grabs his pack. He builds a fire. He starts dressing Piper's wound and is speaking to Night Eyes through it as well, making sure that Night Eyes is okay. And Night Eyes is just saying, I have a bunch of thorns around me. The cut didn't go too deep. I should be okay. Take care of them first. Yep, take care of them. And he he does. He's quietly just asking, like, hey, do you have cloth I can help bind Piper's arm with? Just not confronting anything about that conversation, that he ran away. Right. He also brews some tea to help with the pain management. And the next thing he does is try to set Piper's arm back into place because she has broken it and it has to get straight mm-hmm. so that she can use it again. He doesn't claim to be a, a healer here. No. And says, when we get to the next town, it may have to be set again. And Josh nods slowly. We both knew that there was no real alternative. I set my teeth against the pain she felt and firmly drew her forearm straight. So he's still open. He's still so raw from all the emotions that he can't really put up his walls again. Right. Still, he, he's just feeling everything around him. Right. And I wonder if that means that part of this kind of just doing the chores, going motion to motion, and this kind of hazy feel is because he's feeling everybody's shock. He's feeling everybody else's shock. And because this wouldn't necessarily, I think put him into a shock he's far too used to battles and this one i mean though he does have some mental scarring from his time in the dungeons i don't think that's enough to have the type of shock it seems to have in the writing and so i wonder if part of that is that he's just so open and so he knows he just has to keep doing things to get away from that And he's probably also feeling Honey's resentment and thinking that he's a coward. So he's kind of absorbing that as well and just being dejected like Fitz usually is. Right. (laughs) But with Honey taking care or I'm sorry, Piper taking care of, he moves on to Josh because he was hit on the head. Mm -hmm. His harp is also destroyed. There is no fixing it. And... He gives Harper Josh a little bit of the tea as well because it'll help with the pain. Then he goes to Honey and asks if she was hurt. And she says that there's a knot on her shin and claw marks down her face and chest. But that she can take care of herself. And she ends it with small thanks to you that I'm alive at all. And when Josh tries to tell her... At least he came back. (laughs) Yeah. She says, he ran away, father. He felled his man and then turned and ran. If he had helped us, then none of this would have happened. Not Piper's broken arm, nor your smashed harp. He ran away. 
And then she says that she will thank him for nothing, not even turning back. Yeah, because they don't have a livelihood. The Harper's harp is broken. Uh, Piper has broken arms and can't, you know, hold her instrument. And with this whole discussion, Fitz just rises and walks away. It's it's too much. It's too wearying for him to hear her out. Right. And he's much too discouraged to explain himself at all. And so he does further cleanup. He does more chores. He drags the bodies together. He goes through their clothes, grabs the the money from them, builds a cairn for them. And eventually he brings back this small bit of 12 silver bits in a pouch and takes the sword and goes back to um, the river, cleans himself up, washes his shirt of the blood, and eventually goes back to the small fire. He puts the uh, pouch of money into Harper Josh's hand and says, perhaps it will be enough to help you along until you can replace your harp, I told him. Dead men's money to ease your conscience, Honey sneered. The frayed ends of my temper parted. Pretend they survived, for by Bucklaw they would have had to pay you restitution at least, I suggested. And if that still does not please you, throw the coins in the river for all I care. I ignored her much more thoroughly than she had me. Despite my aches and twinges, I unbuttled the sword belt. Night Eyes had been right. The swordsman had been a lot bigger than me. I set the leather against a piece of wood and bored a new hole into the strap with my knife. That done, I stood and fastened it about me. There was comfort in the weight of a sword at my side again. I drew the blade and examined it by the firelight. It was not exceptional, but it was functional and sturdy. Where did you get that? Piper asked. Her voice was a bit wavery. Took it off the third man, up in the woods, I said shortly. I resheathed it. What is it? Harper Josh asked. A sword, Piper said. Josh turned his hazy eyes to me. There was a third man up in the woods with a sword? Yes. And you took it away from him and killed him? Yes. He snorted softly and shook his head at himself. When we shook hands, I knew it well. It was no scriber's hand I gripped. A pen does not leave calluses such as you bear, nor does it muscle a forearm that way. You see, honey, he did not run away. He but went to... If he had killed the man attacking us first, it would have been wiser, she insisted stubbornly. And he's still done with it. He's still just over it. So he lays down, turns away from them, and starts to go to sleep. Right. Twitch. Piper asks, are you going to sleep? And he says, yeah. And they ask, well, what if Forge One comes? And he says, then Honey can kill them in whatever order she deems wise. (laughs) And that's a little bit of humor in this pretty dark section. Right. Um, And then Josh, before he goes to sleep, asks, Cobb, did you take any money for yourself? And Fitz replies with, I do not expect to have need of coin again. I told him as quietly, I did not explain that I no longer planned to have much to do with humans. I never wanted to explain myself again to anyone. I did not care if they understood me or not. This whole interaction is just affirming his decision to push people away. Right. He has gone back and forth and back and forth on this a few times this chapter. He doesn't want to be lashing with new humans, but he wants to help people. He's uncomfortable with conversations. 
and everything but still he's very lonely for humans and then people are attacking him for you know doing what he did best surviving and for helping them and he's just so worn out from all the emotions that he's just decided well i don't need to deal with humans anymore i'm just gonna go kill regal help my king and i'm done i don't don't need coins i'm just gonna go i don't care if i die right and it's really sad i mean honey is being super rude and to be fair to her she just went through a super traumatic event oh yeah and it's totally understandable to have seen someone run away and then you get attacked in that way and your family the livelihood is destroyed and now you have to understand that he did come back but it didn't stop all the bad things from happening and so i i'm not necessarily upset at her because she is a blunt person and just is dealing with this shock and trauma and channeling her anger into the wrong person. And so I feel bad for her, but also she is literally the worst person for Fitz to have had (laughs) his first encounter with another human with. Yeah. Harper Josh is great. Yeah. If it was just him and the other daughter Piper, I think he would have been fine and maybe would have entered back into society. But I just think that Harper's personality is just all wrong yeah honey honey's person sorry honey yeah Yeah. (laughs) harper josh honey yes honey's personality is just all wrong for fitz and so he goes to sleep before he does he lets night eyes know like by tomorrow we'll be free to be together again and hunt and, and be free of this and i'll be done i'll be done with that fitz's thoughts drift a bit here blurred i let it all go and floated free away from the pains that niggled at my body. Molly, I thought wistfully, Molly, but I did not find her. Somewhere, Birik slept on a pallet made up before a hearth. I saw him, and it felt almost as if I skilled him, but I could not hold the vision. The firelight illuminated the planes of his face. He was thinner and burnt dark with hours of fieldwork. I spun slowly away from him. The skill lapped against me, but I could find no control of it. When my dreams brushed up against Patience, I was shocked to find her in a private chamber with Lord Bright. He looked like a cornered animal. A young woman in a lovely gown was evidently as startled as he to have Patience intrude on them. Patience was armed with a map, and she was speaking as she pushed aside a tray of dainties and wine to unfurl it on the table. "'I have found you neither stupid nor craven, Lord Bright, so I must assume you are ignorant.' I intend that your education shall no longer be neglected, as this map by the late Prince Verity will prove to you, if you do not take action soon, all the coast of Buck will be at the mercy of the red ships, and they have no mercy. She lifted those piercing hazel eyes and stared at him as as she had so often stared at me when she expected to be obeyed. I almost pitied him. I lost my feeble grip on the scene. Like a leaf borne by wind, I swirled away from them. I did not know if I went next higher or deeper, only that I felt all that bound me to my body was a tenuous thread. I turned and spun in a current that tugged at me, encouraging me to let go. Somewhere a wolf whined in anxiety. Ghostly fingers plucked at me as if seeking my attention. Fitz, be careful, get back. Fitz is losing himself here. 
he is entering into the skill river, the skill stream now. Right. And those ghostly fingers are what he's described many times. A willingness to just let his mind go and just dissipate into that collectiveness of the skill stream. Right. And he hears Verity, but it's very faint. Verity's skill is not enough to penetrate through to him. He's weakened as well from probably the endeavor of last night. Oh, you thought he was weak? Yeah, yeah, I think he's weak here too. I was thinking that he was hiding from what's about to happen next. And so he's weak because he doesn't want to be too loud and draw attention to himself, but still wants to help Fitz. Possibly. But Fitz does say here, his skilling had no more force than a puff of wind, despite the effort I knew it cost him. That's fair. So I figured that he was just, or maybe he's just talking about the physical effort that he knew that it would cost Verity in the morning or something. I don't know. Yeah. But there is something separating Verity and Fitz. It's this, a cold fog, yielding yet resisting, entangling like brambles. And Fitz tries to care about it, but he can't really make himself care. Right. Because he's just letting go. He's done with everything. And Night Eyes is obviously anxious here. He can hear a wolf whine with anxiety in the back of his mind, and yet he's still kind of just letting go. And Fitz can't find a way to struggle outside of that fog, that dream that he's trying to awaken from. Right. He could not find the will to try. A whiff of dog magic stench in the air, and look what I find. Will hooked into me like cat claws, drew me tight against him. Hello, bastard. His deep satisfaction reawakened every nuance of my fear. I could feel his cynical smile. Neither of them dead, not the bastard with his perverted magic, nor Verity the pretender. Tsk, tsk. Regal will be chagrined to find he was not as successful as he had thought. This time, though, I shall make sure of things for him. My way. And Fitz feels that he's grown in strength and cunning. Mm-hmm. And he reaches out for Verity, but Verity can't hear him. And Will starts to drain him. It's a very interesting grasp from the get-go. Will appearing out of nowhere, which is Fitz's ultimate worst fear. <laughs> yeah. And also... I think this usage of the stench of beast magic, the whiff of dog magic, sorry, is interesting because that must mean that Verity has known all along that Fitz is witted, right? We thought so, that he had suspicions, but it was confirmed right. later on. Although, if they knew he was witted the whole... If everybody can tell he's witted the whole time... Wouldn't that have meant Galen would have pointed that out and, like, killed yeah, him that's, for it? Yeah, that's why I think that Verity didn't know immediately or anything. He just might right. have had some suspicions. Or uh, Galen was thinking that he was getting his strength from somewhere else, so he could thought maybe think that source was... Was beer. Yeah. Interesting. And that's, like, the yeah. dog magic thing. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different explanations for that. So I, I think Verity was convinced later on by other details right. and things about Fitz. And... You know, the Coterie obviously has passed around this as well and, and know how yeah. to identify Fitz's magic and Fair with enough. him intertwining the wit and the skill together and reaching out. Right. And then him being careless and floating on the skill river. 
easy for Will to find him. Right. Also, maybe it's a little bit of the fact that when he attacked Will, that like really or not Will, I'm sorry. Justin. Justin with Night Eyes attacked through the skill with wit. Maybe that's part of how they could like pick up the stench, quote unquote. Yeah, possibly. And yeah. that's how they can identify it. I don't know. Very confusing things. <laughs> and Fitz can't do anything against Will. Will has latched on. He's forcing down all of Fitz's walls. And his foreign thoughts were a pressure inside my mind as he scrabbled at my secrets, all the while drawing off my substance. But within me, a wolf was waiting for him. My brother, Night Eyes declared, and launched at him tooth and nail. Somewhere in the vast distance, Will shrieked in horror and dismay. However strong he might be in the skill, he had no knowledge at all of the wit. He was as powerless before Night Eyes' attack as I had been before his. And so Night Eyes fights back, and Will snaps off the skill right. connection. He was probably getting attacked the same as Justin had. Right. And I do want to clarify that Will did puncture whatever it is that holds the skill in a person and was draining some of it. Yes, yeah. Um, he also made a weird comment that with Fitz's strength, it would give him wings and claws. And I'm curious if you think that means that he knows about making a stone dragon mm. or if that's just his turn of phrase. I think it was just his turn of phrase. Maybe there are no coincidences and it could be about stone dragons, but I don't think so. I think it's just the turn of phrase of like a, you know, like a, a raptor of some sort, a hawk right, or right. eagle. Yeah, I guess I just thought maybe he did know about it and was going to make his own because he was trained by Rob Red, right? Mm, In some ways, we think. Possibly. Maybe not trained, but at least communicated with him. Right. And I assume they have to have some knowledge of what he's doing, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the Pale Woman's goal would be or how much information they would hide. Right. So it's, I don't know. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe he knows about the dragon now. He wants to build his own. But <laughs> I did notice I that know. turn of phrase, too. But I I want to dismiss it okay. just because there, I don't think or I don't remember there being much more evidence beyond that. Right. To indicate that Will knew. So That's fair. Not sure. But uh, with Night Eyes' attack, Will cuts off his connection to Fitz, and Fitz is waking up, wide awake inside his own body, sitting straight up in his blanket, sweat streaming down, and probably has cried out in his sleep. Cobb, Josh asked in some alarm, and I saw him sit up sleepily. Honey was staring at me from her own blanket where she sat keeping watch. I choked back a panting sob. A nightmare, I managed huskily, just a nightmare. I staggered to my feet, horrified at how weakened I was. The world spun around me. I could barely stand. Fear of my own weakness spurred me. I caught up my small kettle and carried it off with me as I headed for the river. Elf Park tea, I promised myself, and hoped it would be pointed enough. I veered wide of the heaped stones that covered the forged one's body. Before I reached the bank of the river, Night Eyes was beside me, hitching along on three legs. I dropped my kettle and sank down beside him. I threw my arms around him, mindful of the slash on his shoulder, and buried my face in his ruff. I was so scared, I nearly died. 
I understand now why we must kill them all, he said calmly. If we do not, they will never let us be. We must hunt them down to their own lair and kill them all. It was the only comfort he could offer me. And so ends chapter five. Yeah. A little intense. Yeah. Definitely confrontations in it and not just the forged ones, but Fitz confronting himself and his own fears about his body and its pain and, and his past not to the best outcomes and also confrontations with honey <laughs> right but it it's a driver again like all these chapters just build on each other and it's a it's a wonderful story that Hob has put together it's a horrible one <laughs> but it's fantastic <laughs> yeah. as well Horrible in the fact that it is um, a horrific story of what right. happens. Right. So much loss and heartache and pain and everything, but it, all of these are drivers that force fits onwards and, and really does build on his character and the decisions he makes in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. The end of it is... Uh, is scary first time around uh reading this did you expect will to actually be there i know you said earlier that you didn't Mm -hmm. think will was searching but then all of a sudden there's this little like cloud he can't reach through the verity he's losing himself and then all of a sudden the next sentence will's there and sucking (laughs) no um no i had i don't think i had any idea I remember being pretty shocked. I don't think it was like never in a million years, but I don't didn't expect it so quick. Yeah, it like comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I and I think I definitely felt like anxious. Like, what's this fog? What's is this like? Just a manifestation of his feelings? Or nope, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I think more so on this reread, I'm I'm getting a, a better appreciation for Robin Hobbs' ability to right transitions where they are very abrupt but they don't seem unnatural right especially with like um we've seen recently the lack of time yeah in a lot of fitz's perspective and everything kind of flows together and you kind of seem like it's all happening short time periods or whatever but all of a sudden at the end of it it's like oh i've grown like a really nasty ratty three-week beard (laughs) and i haven't washed myself ever it's been a week since i've been in this cabin when it just seemed like one page of a night you know like one right yeah and it blended naturally and the same with this it just kind of fits drifting along and losing himself and and my worry even in rereads i I get invested and i'm like oh he's gonna lose himself in the skill river or whatever Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he gets latched and snapped up but it's by will and all of a sudden he's there right now it is kind of funny how in rereads you know what's going to happen but you still get that fear a little bit of what if it changes this time right (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's like such a beautiful thing about this book and reading this chapter, this chapter is definitely one of the best so far, in my opinion, that we've read. Of the third book? Yeah. Of, or, I think, overall, oh, in okay. my opinion. Yeah. I think there's just a really good balance of action and non-action. And Fitz isn't the most mopey we've ever seen him. There's definitely moping going on, but I feel like that's countered with seeing his loved ones or 
good reason, I guess. I don't know. Not that most of the other times there isn't necessarily good <laughs> reason, but I, I feel the most sympathetic towards his mopiness in this chapter right. versus every other chapter. Where I'm like, <laughs> all right, Fitz, get over it. <laughs> It's interesting to me because there is a like there's a ton of action in this and we see a lot of other characters as well. Mm-hmm. We see Molly, well we don't really see Molly, but we know right. Molly's there. We see Patience, we see Beric, we hear about Chade. We get Verity. Mm-hmm. And then Fitz instead of being his normal mopiness actually can articulate in his mind what he was fearing and what he was feeling, which really brings some roundness to that existential dread that he has yeah that's been pervasive so it's uh it's a good chapter yeah i like this one a lot it is very long but it is I like so this long <laughs> any last thoughts before we wrap up here emma <sighs> just that poor night eyes is now also scarred oh i know yeah limping Hardened. on three legs right hardened and more man-like than i think we've seen him ever true and i feel sorry for that loss of i don't know if it's innocence but animalness i guess yeah thank you so much for joining us this week on all these discussions about fits and the forged ones and how honey is sympathetic but terrible person at the first look yep <laughs> also fits in the forged one would be a great band name true if you take that please there's already, <laughs> there's already fits in the tantrums, I guess, but... Mm, fits in the Forge one's a little yeah. bit more fun. <laughs> if you want to reach out and let us know your thoughts on everything that has happened this chapter or any parts of the book so far, let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly at isfitshappy at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Okay, so to counteract our long episode, um, we have just one comment we're going to talk about today, and it is from the wonderful Ellen. They asked us a question about what we think about the idea of an imprinted command being given to the forged ones to seek out and kill skill users. And potentially the command could have been put there by Kebel or the Pale Woman. And so what do you think, Luke? We've discussed this a little bit before. I think in the first one when we were talking about what was drawing this the Forged Ones to Buckkeep. And when we knew it was Verity using the skill. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to tell. And I could make guesses and like what I feel like it should be, but I, I don't know if we'll ever fully know. And I think um, I think the Pale Woman explains a little bit in the Tawny Man trilogy, but again, I haven't read that one for a little bit, so <laughs> I really need to go through and reread all the books. My problem is they all kind of blend together for me. Yeah. So I have memories from the Tawny Man trilogy that I for sure am putting in with this book. And I'm like, <laughs> when are we gonna get to that part? And definitely like parts of this book where I'm like, I have no memory of this place. (laughs) So, um, so I don't know if we ever find out for sure, 
Um, I like the idea that they're doing that. It would make sense from a strategic standpoint because skill users are the only thing that's going to be able to combat what they're doing. Right. So and the pale woman might know that. Right. And even if it kills some innocent people along the way, they clearly have no qualms about that. Right. So killing, going after skill users to kill them, wouldn't it be hard to like imagine them doing? But then the question arises of how would they know that these people would know others are skill users? Mm-hmm. So and also, Rob Red and the Pale Woman or whoever is doing it would have to be present at every single forging, right? That makes me head into the thought of I think this is a happy coincidence, a crazy rap and uh, crazy random happenstance mm-hmm. of the result of forging, and they. I kind of go along with Fitz's thought that they're just attracted by skill because maybe that's it reminds them of the humanity they lost because it's like another soul reaching out right and they latch onto that humanity and are drawn in and it's skill stone that they're giving their memories into. So there's some kind of like connection or link there. right. No, it's definitely interesting in theory, but I wonder if it's maybe part of the plan. I don't think it's something that can be tweaked, but I think it could have been part of the reason that the pale woman chose this path to take yeah, definitely. to show Rob Red the ability of the skill stone, because part of that would also kill skill users, which obviously most targets the Farseer line, which has to die to make sure dragons never come back. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's, Sorry. A it's good a good theory yeah, to think it's a about. Very <laughs> thought-provoking thing, but I think once again, unfortunately, it comes down to our lack of understanding of the skill and how mm-hmm. it works, and the lack of understanding of the pale woman's plans. As I mentioned before in the previous book rack wrap-ups, I would love to read a book from the perspective of Cavill Rawbread or the Pale Woman. Just to get a little bit more insight into their plans and like how far things ahead were planned and what they wanted to do with the forging and stuff and we would get more capabilities of what the forging does i don't know yeah it would be nice to know her thought process also just anything about how the whites choose what they want to do (laughs) i'm so curious because i know that they have the one true path that they all are trying to follow but i wonder to what extent that is i just I am so interested by all of the magic systems, none more so than the path. (laughs) I think it's become very clear to anyone listening to this podcast that I want everything to be connected to the path. And I don't know. I just wish we had a better understanding. Yeah, especially because it's impossible to tell what is the path that Claris wanted and what is the fool's and therefore Fitz's decisions and how those ripples counteract against the other ones and what events are which paths you know yeah it's definitely (laughs) so it's hard to tell if like the forged ones were part of that path or if it was Mm -hmm. just i don't know i i feel that it's not logistically viable for them to be imprinted into to hunt down skilled users right that's just my thought but i could be wrong they could be i don't know it's just I it's like just it. hard to tell. 
It's, I like it a lot as a theory. Yeah. I think it's really fun. But I don't know either. Thanks for asking the question, though. It's it's really fun to think about the wide implications of things like that. Yes. <laughs> Which links back to, uh, you know, the plan or the, uh, um, the magic systems in general. So thank you, Ellen, for asking the question. Yeah. It's always fun to try to have a wider view of the books. And we try to do that. Um, but sometimes I feel like it can get too derail-y. Um, so it's fun in the end to get to have questions every once in a while that really get us to think about the implications on the world as a whole. Right, yeah. We definitely get lost in the chapter quite often. Right. So it's nice to... Pull back. Pull back a little bit. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking questions. And we are glad to have you. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. See you soon.